0: talking about suffering. I'm talking about suffering. Um, We we read the the last two verses that of the passage that we read last week at the beginning this morning, and it refers to the fact that uh, we are heirs and fellow heirs with Christ in verse 17, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. And it continues on, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He immediately mentions the, the idea of suffering right here. Um, is my mic, did my mic go off? Do you guys know? Did it, Sean? Is it on or no? It sounds okay? Okay, cool. Well, let me know if I need to use a different mic. Okay, Okay, cool. Um, But I I mean, honestly, we're all acquainted with suffering, we all are very familiar with suffering, all of us, every single one of us, deal with suffering every day in minor ways, suffering small things that cause us frustration and discouragement, but a lot of us, I know, I mean, even as as Steve prayed this morning, there was a a significant list of people in our church family who are dealing with things that are more significant, that are extremely painful, and it's not just physical pain, but it's also um, loneliness and emotional pain and relational brokenness. There's all sorts of suffering that we are all very, very aware with. And and I am am firmly convinced of the fact that um, the Christian answer to suffering and the reason for suffering um, is the only one that really makes sense and actually gives us hope. And Paul doesn't address the entire issue of suffering here in this passage, but he does address the fact that suffering is something that we all encounter. And he gives us some real insight into the the purpose of suffering and how to engage with suffering, how to to see suffering in our own lives. And that's what I want to look at briefly this morning. Um, And so the first thing that he points out, I think, to us is that suffering... For the Christian, suffering is necessary. For the person who is committed to following Jesus, suffering is necessary. It's something that we need to count on. Verse 17 tells us that if we are children of God, then we are heirs with Christ, right? But then he says this, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The end goal is that we be glorified with Jesus. And, and in other words, what is he saying? He's, the, the idea of being glorified with Jesus is, is, is that we would eventually be made perfect. That we would be made to become all that we were created to be. Uh, in other words, we were made to be like Jesus. That's what it means to be glorified with Jesus. It's to become like Jesus. But the only pathway to becoming like Jesus involves suffering with Jesus. It involves dealing with suffering. Suffering is a necessary ingredient. So, so we talked last week about the fact that we need to set our mind on the work of the Spirit, on the mind of the Spirit, on the things of the Spirit in order to grow, to become more like Jesus. But, but part of the process of the Spirit is that he uses suffering in our lives. He uses suffering. You cannot grow to become more like Jesus apart from suffering. You can't. You can't. Um, When I was a kid, I uh, I remember seeing. I don't know. I I think we went to this place where they did glass blowing. Have you ever been to a a glass blowing? I don't know. It's a factory or workshop or whatever. And uh, and if, if you if you know what the glass looks like before, well, if you know what glass blowing is, they they take this this glass that is melted and it's soft, right? And then they put it on the end of this. This long metal pipe, and then they blow into it, and then they shape it, and they add color to it. And in the end, it, it looks incredibly beautiful. I don't know if many of you guys have uh, things at home that, have been, that, have, that are blown glass, but it, it's incredibly beautiful. But if you see the glass before the whole process, it's just kind of in a bin, and it's just these little chunks of, of clear, like different misshapen pieces of glass. And, and it just looks like a, a recycling bin, really. And the only way for that glass to become the beautiful glass that it is, is it for it to go into this furnace, I'm not sure what the technical term for it is, and to be melted, to endure extreme heat, so that it, it can be shaped and molded. And, and I think that's a, that's a real clear picture of what suffering does for us. As we attempt to follow Jesus, one of the things that suffering does is it adds heat extreme heat even painful heat that makes our hearts moldable and shapeable that makes our hearts more able to to depend on god and to be shaped by god it it is only extreme pain and suffering and, and even minor suffering that that enables us to that draws us out of ourselves and enables to see others It's only by experiencing extreme discomfort that enables us to to come to a place where we can actually comfort others. It's only by experiencing pain and hurt and struggle that that we're actually enabled to actually be a little bit more empathetic with others and to show compassion as Jesus does. It's, It's only through suffering that we can become more like Jesus. And so we need to expect it. We need to count on it. And we need to realize that as we are experiencing it, that it's got a a real purpose to it. There's there's an end goal that is beautiful and that is glorious and that is good. And that brings me to the second point, that our, our suffering, we need to understand that our suffering is relative. Our suffering is relative. When we encounter suffering, when we think of our suffering, we must always remember that it's relative. And, and what I mean by that is that we need to, to constantly compare it to something else. And that's what Paul does for us here. I mean, we, we actually, a lot of the times we, we probably learn in life that it's, it's probably not the most healthy thing to be constantly comparing our circumstances to other things, to other people's circumstances, or to comparing what we have to what other people have. It's not necessarily the most healthy thing. But when it comes to suffering, Paul says, no, you need to learn to compare it to something. And he, he tells us in verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He, he says they're not worth comparing, but when he says that, he's encouraging us to compare it, right? He's encouraging us to, to compare what we are experiencing right now to the pain that we are experiencing now to the end product of the glory that we will be that we will experience when Jesus returns and everything is remade, including ourselves. And we experience the, the weight of what it feels like to, to be like Jesus. When we experience a, a new heavens and a new earth, a place that we cannot even fully imagine, a pla- uh, when, when we experience life that is so satisfying that, that it's hard for us even to comprehend it right now because so much in life is dissatisfying. Everything in life is ultimately dissatisfying. We need to compare our suffering now to the fact that one day we will be completely full and completely at rest and completely full of joy. And so whatever you are experiencing now, it doesn't compare. It is eclipsed by the joy that you will feel one day. As a result of the suffering that you're experiencing now, and one of the images that he uses to uh, to convey this idea is, is later on in the passage he he compares to the he compares the suffering of creation and of people to childbirth and labor, a woman in labor, right? Um, okay, I'm not a woman, I cannot relate, but I can imagine. I'm just guessing that no woman who is pregnant is purely looking forward to the pain of labor for the sake of the pain of labor. You know? Am I wrong? (laughs) I'm asking Annie. Um, But the thing is, the labor, the pain of labor, is absolutely worth it because it's eclipsed by what comes afterwards. Right? By the joy of new life of a child makes it like the pain of labor. I'm I'm not really even thinking about that because I cannot wait because it's worth it, right? And he says that's how we need to view our suffering right now. No matter how small, no matter how big it is, what comes after, what is coming when Jesus returns is going to be way more than we can imagine. So worth it. And so we need to always look at our suffering no matter what it is. No matter, you know, whether it's it's this huge thing, this huge life-altering thing that you are dealing with right now. Or if it's just this, this, you know, list of things you've dealt with today. It's all going to be eclipsed by what God is doing through it in you. And Paul reminds us That our suffering is shared here. A lot of this passage is him reminding us that our suffering is shared. He draws our attention to all of creation. And he says that creation, it's not just you suffering, but all of creation is suffering. Do you realize this? All of creation is groaning to become something more. Um, He talks about how creation is, uh, is subjected to futility in verse 20. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. He, it. The idea is that God has subjected all of creation to experience futility and decay and corruption. Not because creation has done anything wrong, but because of us. Because of us. Because of our sin. Part of, part of uh, We were meant to rule over creation, to live in harmony with creation, to bring the best out of creation. That's why God made us. And because we have gone wrong, all of creation is struggling now. All of creation is frustrated. All of creation longs to experience something more, something greater, something more beautiful, something more full. And so he tells us that the creation itself is groaning and it's straining. It's it's eagerly awaiting for what God's going to do in us. what God's going to do through us. And and so how does that help us in the midst of our suffering? Why does Paul bring this up here to remind us that that our suffering is shared? It's not just about our suffering, but all of creation suffers. And I think one reason Paul does this is to help us to understand that, that life isn't just about me, it's about everything God has made. I'm just a part of it. It's hopefully to widen my vision of who God is and what he is doing. That, that he wants to, to redeem and reclaim and rescue not just people, but everything that he has made. And I'm just a part of that. But I think, as I think about this, I think there's another, another reason. And again, I hope I don't lose everybody here. Maybe a couple of you will get this. So I won't spend a whole lot of time on it. But when I look around at creation, I... I'm not immediately thinking, oh, it's obvious that all of creation is groaning and longing. I mean, it, it is, you, you can look out and see, you know, that the trees, the leaves have fallen off the trees. We do see decay in creation. Um, we see some, you know, natural disasters, catastrophes, they, they bring death and, and things like that. So we, we see there's some things about creation that are wrong, but a, a lot of times I look, at, I look at creation and I see a lot of beauty. Don't you? There's a lot of beauty in creation, whether you're looking at, at your pet dog, you know, or cat, or you're looking at a sunset or a sunrise, or you're looking at a majestic landscape of beautiful mountains and valleys and things like that. You know, there's a lot of glory in creation and beauty in creation. But, I, but Paul says here that, that all of that is actually struggling and longing and groaning it's not what it should be. And I think the reason he tells us this is to, is to help us m- imagine the fact that, uh, of what really is awaiting us. Okay? So if, if I look at creation, if, I, like, if you can close your eyes right now, if, close your eyes for a second, and just think of one of the most beautiful things in creation that you have seen recently. You know, I don't know what you guys are picturing, but, but like, when you think, you can open your eyes, when you think of that thing, what you need to realize that is that that thing, as great as it looks, as beautiful as it is, as glorious as it might look, is actually meant to be more. It's meant to be fuller. It's meant to be more colorful. It's meant to be more glorious. That is what God has in store for us. So like when you look at a beautiful sunrise, that's, that's just a, a, the tip of the iceberg for what God has planned for us. Okay? Okay. I think he wants us to imagine how great the glory that is awaiting us is, okay? And that's why he reminds us that that everything in creation is groaning. Every blade of grass is groaning for more. Every tree limb is groaning for more. Every pet dog is groaning to become more. We are all meant for so much more, for so much more glory, And lastly, we need to understand that our suffering is known. Our suffering is known. Verse 26 says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. In other words, I think as as he talks about our weakness, I think since he's begun talking about our our suffering and and how everything is groaning to be to experience the fullness of glory, I think the the natural thing is is to recognize that the Spirit is helping us in the midst of our suffering. The Spirit helps us in our weakness and our suffering. Because this is the thing. Often, what does suffering do to us? Suffering renders us silent. Suffering renders us with no words. Doesn't it? When you're going through something that is really hard, that is really uncomfortable, that is really difficult, it's it's hard to know what to even say. When somebody else is hurting, it's hard sometimes to know what to even say. We have nothing to say. But this is the thing. God has given, if, if you have trusted in Jesus, God has given you his spirit. And his spirit knows your heart. It says he he he's he who searches hearts, that's God, the Father searches your heart. He knows what's in your heart and he's given you your given you his spirit. And his spirit knows exactly what you need. His spirit knows exactly the purpose for the suffering that you're enduring right now. He knows exactly what is it's accomplishment. It's accomplishing. He knows it through and through. He knows your circumstance. He knows your situation and he is groaning for you. He is interceding for you. He is praying for you exactly what you need prayed, exactly what you need. The Father knows what you need. The Spirit knows what you need. And so as you deal with suffering today, know that the Spirit of God is with you every step of the way. He knows what you're going through. And he's crying out for exactly what you need in the midst of it. And if the Spirit is praying for you for what you need, I mean, is God going to deny his Spirit, what his Spirit wants? So take comfort in that. Take comfort in that the fact that the Spirit is praying for you in the midst of your, of your hurt and of your pain. And he knows what you need. So throughout all of this, in the midst of our suffering... As in everything, we're encouraged to view our, uh, I think, to view our most fundamental identity as we suffer. Um, We need to view our most fundamental identity as God's children, again. Um, Throughout this entire passage, he he reminds us over and over again, if you have trusted in Jesus, then you are a child of God. He says it over and over again, right? Starting in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Um, and then he talks about uh, the creation, you know, in verse, in verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. He talks about the pains of childbirth. Verse 23, that we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as Sons. He's constantly reminding us, as we think about our suffering, as we think about the necessity of our suffering, as we think about the purpose of our suffering, he wants to remind us, as you you endure your suffering, as you endure the discomfort of your life, do not forget that God sees you as his child, as his son or daughter. And in that, you need to learn to take comfort. You need to learn to see yourself, first and foremost, as his child. Um, as a parent, I've, I've seen this many, many, many times. You know, when, it, when a, a child is young and they, and they fall and they scrape their knee and they experience pain, or they bang their elbow, or they fall and they hit their head, you know, on the wall, whatever. Immediately, they start to cry because the pain becomes so big. It's all that, it's, it's all that they can see, Right? It's all that they can see. And what do they do when the pain is all that they can see and they can't see anything else? Well, they, they look for their mom or their dad, right? And, and what they want more than anything is, uh, what they need more than anything is to be able to just crawl up into their mom or dad's lap and be held. You know? To get their, their mom's shirt wet with their tears to just be held. Um, and what, what, does, what does the parent often say in those moments? It's going to be okay. Isn't that often what we tell them? Because we know. We know the whole picture. We can see everything. The child can't see anything. The child, all they can see is the pain. We can see the whole big picture, and we can say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. In verse 24, he says, for in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So This is the problem with with suffering as we deal with suffering in our lives. When we encounter suffering, it's it's often, it fills our mind and our vision. That's the only thing that we can see. But in those moments, we need to crawl up into God's lap as his daughter, as his son, and let him hold us and know that he says it's going to be okay. I've referred to this uh, uh, quote before um, by this uh, Brazilian author named Fernando Sabino, um, but I think it really is true. Um, But he wrote this. It's been used in other uh, writings and by other people. but, But he says this, In the end, it will be okay. If it's not okay, then it's not the end. And that really is true. We need to hear God saying that to us as his children no matter what kind of chaos you are dealing with right now, no matter what kind of suffering you are facing or those around you are facing, we need to hear God say to us, even though we can't see it, we need to hear God say to us and trust him. In the end, it's gonna be okay. If it's not okay, it's not the end. Because in the end, we will experience glory like we can't even imagine. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us to to see our suffering in light of what you tell us, in light of what you are doing through it, in light of what we have awaiting for us, in light of your love for us. And Father, we pray that you would help us to trust you as our Father, to rest in your arms as your kids. And to know that you are working. You are working something glorious. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we have a, uh, something a little different this morning. Um, something exciting, I would say, is uh, we are going to be um, ordaining and installing a new ruling elder in our church, Tyler Lutz. And before Tyler comes up here... Um, just to remind you the whole process, we have a, a time where you can nominate um, people for as, as, a, as a potential elder or deacon, and there are forms in the foyer. You can also use a, a link in the email that goes out on Thursdays for the next month. Um, as people who are fulfilling the role of elder or deacon already, that you see them doing these things, as they're serving people, as they're caring for people, as they're loving people, as they're shepherding people, as they're seeking God and sharing the truth of God with others, and... and and, uh, and Tyler has been identified as one of those people in our church um, and nominated and gone through um, uh, a period of training, and, and, uh, and he's been examined by the session and, uh, and approved as a candidate for elder. And we just had a congregational meeting last week and voted and unanimously voted that he would be uh, added to the session as a new elder. Um, and, and so, you know, before Tyler comes up here, I just want to tell, tell Tyler, you know, this is and, and everybody, this isn't just like, you know, we're not just electing a new representative kind of in the church. It's, it's, this, is, this is part of God's process of saying, my hand is upon you to be my servant. Like, his job isn't just to represent people in the church. His job is to represent Jesus to the people of his church. And this whole process is, is a part of God affirming that call upon your life, Tyler. So, um, so I, why don't you come on up here? The the process is this: He has been elected, and and uh, uh, by our congregational meeting last week, but.